HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more at robertaspizza.com. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, owner and chef of Samisa Restaurant located in Williamsburg. Many chefs have benefited from parents and grandparents that were excellent home cooks. Being in the kitchen as a child, standing at the knees of adults is a powerful way to gain experience with how to behave safely around heat and knives while learning to combine flavors and execute recipes. But being a chef and restaurant owner is so much more than cooking food that tastes delicious and that can be reproduced countless times. Owning a restaurant is about staffing, insurance, hospitality, fixing broken items, and dozens of other small tasks that occupy a small business owner's day-to-day. As powerful the knowledge may be of your grandparents' secret recipes, they never had to field negative Yelp reviews and worry about the health inspectors coming during dinner service on a Saturday. My guest today has the best of both worlds. His mother, Anne Bognar, opened up Nippon Tay over 17 years ago in St. Louis and began working at her family's restaurant, Mani Thai, and wanted to bring the flavors of Japan and Thailand together in one restaurant. Nippon Tay became one of the first fusion restaurants in the St. Louis area. The growing restaurant group now encompasses three, no, four restaurants. My guest today is Nick Bognar, who is the chef and owner of Indo, the modern Asian restaurant located in St. Louis. Indo combines styles of mainland Southeast Asia, joining Nick's Thai background and formal Japanese training. At just 27, Nick was nominated for the James Beard Foundation Rising Star Chef of the Year for his transformation of his family's restaurant. He opened Indo in June 2019. In a four-star review in the St. Louis Dispatch, the critic said, he is staking his claim as one of the most vital voices in St. Louis dining. Chef, welcome to the show. Thank you. 
Appreciate it. So let's start with a, a sort of a big overarching geography question. Indo covers a lot of ground from a culinary standpoint. So for those that are not familiar with the area, uh, explain what countries and areas we're talking about and what kind of flavor profile you work with. Uh, yeah. So like I usually like to say Southeast Asia, um, Thailand, Vietnam, um, Malaysia. Uh, these are like flavor wise, that's kind of just the stuff that I started doing mainly probably just because of the food that my family's always made. So it kind of just kind of felt right for me to cook that. And then like trying to kind of think about the restaurant uh, before we opened, I found myself just like for like almost a solid year cooking like mainly Thai food, cooking mainly Southeast Asian food, even though for like the last 10, uh, 12 years, I've been just making sushi professionally. So it's like sushi chef by day and then like Thai home cook by night. And then uh, just kind of like combining that in a way and like once we open the restaurant. Take us back to your childhood. What are some of those smells and spices that permeated both your home and your restaurant life? And and also, was there like a clear delineation between home and, and restaurant or did it all just kind of blend together? I mean, I think back in the day, like so my mom's been working in the restaurant industry far before she ever opened anything or even her family. So like. It was always kind of like that classic like Asian restaurant family where like your home fridge was a little empty because mom's been working a lot this week. And then like we're just kind of like eating fried rice from the restaurant. I feel like smells wise. I mean, I'm, like it's funny that you mentioned smells because I mean, my whole life growing up like in St. Louis, Missouri, like my house definitely smelled a lot different than like everybody else's. So you like walk in and you're immediately blasted with like fish sauce. And my, my grandma's in there just like pounding things together that smell funny. Uh but then when I smell that same thing, typically I know that I'm like, so I like went into uh, Hanoi, Hanoi soup shop yesterday and like I smelled that same like fish sauce pungent and I'm just like, I know this is going to be super good. Uh, it reminded me of like, you know, being like, so my grandma kind of like watched me a lot before I went to like kindergarten and uh, that smell like just like she was just constantly cooking. I mean, that was like her thing. So, you know, you get that like funky fish sauce and spices and curry you know i think a lot of like maybe like indian people have that same kind of thing where it's like oh your house smells like curry my house always smelled like fish sauce i guess i don't know if that's like a good thing so what was that like growing up in st louis i'm not super familiar with the composition of the city and its and its diversity but were you one of the few families in that area who uh would have would have been had come over from that area or or was there a huge uh, immigrant population that lived in st louis that you kind of found your community there um, there's definitely a nice like Thai community, um, but it's small, you know, it's small. Um, I think we kind of all know each other in a way, but the, a lot of successful Thai people, um, with their businesses too, because, you know, a few other families have restaurants too. And, and like, there just wasn't much Thai food. Um, when I was younger, it was definitely like a little bit of a, a different person just because I was Asian, like not a ton of Asian people in St. Louis. Um, but, you know, I think nowadays, like, uh, uh, the knowledge of, like, Asian food is much better. Um, you know, it was cool. I, I always kind of remember, like, that classic, like, the first time I had lunch at school and, like, nobody knows what the hell I'm eating. And, like, people, like, judging me and then me trying to, like, trade my amazing lunch for, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> like, and I always loved, like... Midwest like crappy food because it was different from what I always ate. Yeah. So I mean, there was all that that classic like 
trying to fit in yet still. But now it's like, now it's cool to be different, right? Like, it, I think it's, it would be very cool to bring like a traditional set lunch. You yeah. Know, I mean, like if, if you, if you were bringing someone like, you know, a Japanese bento box, oh, yeah, giving totally. it to your kid for lunch, that would kill in the lunchroom. I now. mean, dude, well, my mom was just hooking me up. Like I would go to lunch with like, I mean, once she opened Nippon Tabby, like at school with like sushi, man, and nobody's like, people are like, what is that? Like nobody wants to eat it. And I'm over here just like, you know, it's probably like a $60 lunch. Man. And <laughs> like, like these third graders are like, exactly. is that raw fish? Yeah. They've got Lunchables. Totally. And you're getting like your full omakase. And I'm just over here like jealous of the Lunchable. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's like a very traditional way to grow up. That is uh, the, the unknown is fearful to others yeah, totally. and you're always looking to be more aligned with what the sort of the the traditional path of like the american school yeah, child yeah. is like pizza hamburgers yeah please let me have that as my childhood yeah well what ends up with me now is that i just love all that shit like i eat more pizza and hamburgers than than probably anybody unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> is uh is your st louis childhood filled with both the food of your family and of the restaurant and also like barbecue and oh, yeah. fast food. Like, were yeah. you allowed to have that type yeah, of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I grew up not really eating that much fast food. Mm -hmm. And then St. Louis is, a it's like a pretty spread, like, uh, metro area, right? So we all have cars, right? And we drive around <laughs> everywhere. So as soon as I had, like, a car and I was 16, we were just, like, going to fast food all the time. And I felt like it was just, like, out of control. <laughs> like, um, But, yeah, like, my mom never really – we didn't really eat that much fast food. Um, the cool thing about it is, too, is, like, I think – seeing how everything changed in the last like 20, 25 years, 20 years, like going from where it was so hard to find any kind of Asian food. And now people just can't even get enough of it. So it's like really helpful for me. Um, were you, uh, proud or embarrassed or something in the middle of your family's business growing up? Was it cool when you were a kid to have a family business be a restaurant? I think like outwardly, and I maybe didn't realize this like as a younger person, but but outwardly, I think people thought it was really cool. And a lot of people would come and be like, yeah, no, you were going to go to Nick's restaurant. A lot, a lot of cool people I knew from school or like like people, they would come check it out just because they knew me. And then they themselves would be really excited about it. But I think up until like being like 18, I was almost like a little embarrassed of, of the whole thing. I, I don't know why. Maybe it was because like oh, like I'm not going to be able to go hang out tonight. I'm going to go to work or I'm going to go help out at the restaurant. And being like slightly, maybe slightly mad about it, but then eventually getting to that point where I just kind of embraced it. Did, did you always think that the restaurant was going to be the path for you when you were like a young teenager, 14, 15, 16, and then when you had to start making a decision about what the next stage would be after high school, did you have other passions that you thought might pull you away from the restaurant? I don't think I ever really found like another passion that was as strong as cooking. Um, but I definitely didn't take it that seriously. 15, 16. I mean, I was like a line cook then, which was, uh, you know, looking back was like great for my development as being a chef. Cause I kind of, I kind of like banged out all the fundamentals really early. Like my mom was, 
you know, if I was going to work at the restaurant, she's going to treat me the same. So I definitely still had to cut the onions as fast as so-and-so who I'm working with and try to be, try to be helpful. And there was still definitely like a stigma, like, okay, the owner's son is working with us today. So like in a way, like you could tell that some people maybe weren't super happy about that. And then, uh, uh, me trying to like kind of overcome that and prove to them like, Hey, I can actually help you as much as uh, another line cook. And then trying to turn that into, okay, Hey, uh, you know, one of the, some of the older mentors that I worked with doing sushi, like, Hey, like, I'm going to show you how to cut salmon, Nick, you know what I mean? And then trying to like kind of prove to them that I was worth the time. Um, so, you know, that kind of started off early. Um, I think I started taking it really seriously when I was about 18 years old and I, you know, I finished high school and it was kind of like, are you going to go to college or are you going to go do, uh, you know, what are you going to go do? And for me, it was like, I, uh, I had been working a lot then, you know, 17, 18, I was doing sushi, um, like, as a line cook, basically, maybe not a hundred percent full time, but, but a decent amount. Um, and there was this one week where I was, uh, I was actually in like a high school culinary program at the time. So like half my day was like doing some catering. So there was this one week where my teacher pulled me out of my normal school to just do like catering. And then we had like three of these huge caterings that week. And then my mom had somebody like call out or was sick. So I worked like the entire week. Like, I think I worked like 50 hours or something. And I was like, dude, I really love this week. I like this way better than going to school. <laughs> and at that point, it was something like clicked in my head. Okay. If I like being at the restaurant and I can kind of be happy doing all this stuff and enjoy it. And then actually, you know, like the money for me at the time was like pretty good for my age. I was like, I think I could really like make this my thing. Thing. And then I kind of started slowly making it more serious, taking uh, culinary school a lot more seriously. And it was like the first time I got all A's is like culinary school. Right. So then I went to like a local community college for culinary. They actually have a really great reputation, uh, Forest Park Community College. And uh, I was just pushing really hard to like learn from the chefs there and get as much uh, info as I could. And a lot of them had a lot of hope for me. And they kind of tried to motivate me because they knew like that I had been working for so long. And uh, they were like, yeah, you just got to make sure you, you know, you push yourself and you try to be an owner, not a, not a line cook forever and stuff like that. And yeah, I still like that, like kind of wild, like 18 to 23, like where I didn't really take, I mean, I kind of just like partied a lot too mm -hmm. <laughs> at that time, but I was still kind of like cooking hard that whole time too. So I, after that, it was just like obvious that I like spending my time in the restaurant. I'm just going to kind of try to get better and better and better. And then I started taking it really serious right before I moved to uh, Austin. Right. So you, you graduate culinary school, but then you do go back to the family business for a little bit before yeah, going to yeah, Austin, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you kind of spend some time back at the restaurant. You've got all these fundamentals that mm -hmm. you can put into effect in the family business. And then when you decide to go to Austin, which comes first, the location or the restaurant? You end up working for Tyson Cole there. Yeah, Did you Uchiko, seek yeah. out Uchiko or um, was it... Did it come together once you were on the ground there? I mean, I was actually just talking about this just now. Like, I was actually looking pretty hard to actually maybe move to New York because for me, it was always just kind of like dream of mine. And it's funny, sure. like, it was like the terrible goal, life goal of being a line cook in New York was like my number one thing. And I was like, what a bad dream. Yeah, it's like <laughs> but, the, the beautiful weather and yeah. culture of Austin where you can <laughs> share a bedroom with three other people and be a line cook. Yeah, in and New that's York. so funny. It's like, I didn't even want to be like a chef either. I was like, I just want to be a cool line cook. Like, I thought that was cool. No, I, I was looking a lot all over. Um, and uh, one of my best friends from St. Louis actually moved to Austin because his brother had moved to Austin. And uh, he's like, I'm, I'm working at this amazing restaurant, Uchiko. Um, 
I think you should work here. And that was kind of when I first started really looking into what Uchi did. And then I was like, wow, this is this is insane. And at the time, uh, Uchi Co was just coming off of Paul Key winning Top Chef. And I didn't even really connect the dots. I mean, I've always been kind of a fan of that TV show, too. So when I saw that, I was like, I'm just going to go here. It seems like they just produce like the best people. So, you know. Um, I kind of thought of it as my like post associates degree, like more, more knowledge, more pushing. Um, so I was like, I literally got my, uh, I got my graduation papers from culinary school. Cause I was like still finishing classes and like, didn't even go pick up my diploma and just like moved to Austin. So it was pretty cool. Did that place give you everything that you had hoped uh, yeah. Yeah. Like even if like during the time there, I didn't really realize it cause it was just very hard and serious. And it was like, okay, like, uh, you know, they knew all about my, my career thus far. And it was kind of like, okay, you've been working for your mom. Like they were almost, I think in a way pushing me as hard as they could to see if I could kind of break out of that kind of family tree of restaurants and stuff. And it's like that classic, like very serious restaurant. Um, and I learned to be a professional chef, I think at Uchiko, whereas before I was maybe more of like a feel it out kind of, kind of chef. And that was the first time I learned like real proper efficiency, you know, like you got to get there, uh, and you can't really, um, you're not allowed to be there all morning. You know what I mean? Cause that's just not allowed. So it's like, you better get your stuff done quickly and like very well. And, uh, I remember being after leaving, like being super thankful for all that because I learned to basically just like prep harder than anybody and, and be able to do, you know, all these different advanced components. And they expected you to be able to make a sauce without having to explain it. They expected you to be able to make a puree without having to explain it. And that was kind of the first time somebody was like, you know, holding you to that standard, uh, of, you know, some of the best fine dining around. Um, so it was definitely a big kick in the ass at that point. Was that place a recipe book place or was it just a dictating, like now you make the X sauce yeah, for such a dish? it was definitely dictating. Okay. So it was like, so did you keep uh, a notebook with you yeah. and like you, you, <laughs> yeah. you just wrote down everything and yes, prayed to God exactly. that you got it right? And <laughs> it was like, uh, chef, uh, could you explain how to make the, uh, Vichy swall? And he's just like, oh, again. <laughs> All right. And then like you get like five minutes of his time and then you got to make it. Um, right. But that made me better at cooking because I think I think the point that they came across to me after being there for a while and really starting to like be able to hold it down a little bit was like, um, don't don't think about the specifics too much. Just cook it really nice. You know, make a very beautiful sauce and uh, you're not going to make it the same every time you're going to have to understand that's like oh, it's a little thick. It's a little it's a little loose. It's a little, you know, is it green? You know, is it really nicely green? And just kind of first time you kind of like show that to sh the chef and then he's like, yeah, that's perfect. It's like, yes, I did it. I did it too. Like I didn't just copy something. After that, you went to be the executive chef at a restaurant in Cincinnati, right? Yeah. And so yeah. that was EO Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And that would have been your first time leading a kitchen, right? Yeah, outside of my family's restaurant. So I, you know, that, that was kind of the point too, right? Like try to be a leader um, instead of just like a cook. Did you run up against any roadblocks, things that you weren't ready for? The, the thing is, is that you've had so much more of like a fundamentals background than mm -hmm. most people get. Even before you ended up in Austin, you had more hours on mm -hmm. the line than most people. You had a mentor who could be pretty honest with you mm -hmm. and you'd probably been able to see a lot of the background, but did that prepare you to be a executive chef and a leader in a restaurant in a 
totally different city where you you were really for the for, for the first time you were really like standing on your own in that job. Yeah, I, um, I think at first they kind of like I mean I was kind of like feeling a little comfy because it was like I was mainly just manning the sushi bar, so I was like executive sushi chef, which mm-hmm. wasn't a ton of people working for me, but. You know, speaking of roadblocks, I think I kind of hit like every roadblock possible at that point. You know, we had, I mean, is anybody really ready to like manage anyone before they actually manage for real? Like, cause you know, before it's like, you're, I'm my mom's kid. If there's something wrong, I just like, Hey mom, like this is going on. And then we always have like an answer for it. And then this was like kind of figured out for myself. Luckily, I think I tried to kind of channel her lessons or see how she used to do it. And I kind of made it happen uh, over a while, but it, it was like a huge learning curve. Like I probably, I, when I first started with that, I think I kind of like sucked at the job. Like I was definitely mediocre at leading a team and I would maybe like be mean to a, be mean to some staff member instead of just like being a good leader and like helping them and teaching and stuff like that. Um, because I came from kind of a place where, where it was more serious and like everybody was professional. It's like realize that not everybody's going to be like, on the same uh, uh, goals that you have and not have the same like thing. And it's, you know, for some people it's a job and and they have other things outside of life. So it was like learning how to compromise with people, learning how to uh, work with people for real. I think it's kind of one of the hardest jobs, right? Like what is uh, this person want out of this job? And can I kind of make, make them happy at the same time, make myself happy. Um, So yeah, I mean like learning to manage, that was like a great lesson for me. I learned a ton of new things like how to work with ownership who's not necessarily restaurant minded you know my my mom has been a chef her whole life basically and uh working with her about food is much easier than when you go to another owner who's not really worried about how good the food is more worried about like what costs how much it costs and stuff like that so um i learned a whole new set of like lessons there um yeah i think you touched on such an interesting part of what being a a chef and a leader in a restaurant can be, which is figuring out what each individual wants out of the job, not necessarily first what you can get out of that individual, because Mm -hmm. you're right at, at a place like Uchiko or or somewhere very fancy, high end, almost everybody there is going to be pursuing a career path. Yes. But at other restaurants, maybe not necessarily, Mm -hmm. you might have people that this is a stop along their way Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they might, punch in and punch out yeah, literally course. and figuratively yeah, and course. mentally and finding that kind of balance can be can be really challenging did you at that time did you make a lot of phone calls back to either St. Louis or oh, Austin yeah. to yeah. try to like uh figure out what your weekly daily strategy would I be I mean I had my uh kind of like my close friends that I met after working in Austin and then uh but I mean I was probably like twice a week I was calling my mom and dad just like uh, you know, this guy doesn't care about how the food tastes or whatever. And it's just like, I don't think it's good. And, and a lot of that stuff I was right about, but it didn't really, you know, being right about say like, Oh, this food's not as good as it could be. Um, is kind of like a minute detail when it comes to like running a whole business, you know, like at, at, and I learned too, is like people like going to EO kitchen cause it's a nice restaurant. Very like, it's a fun place to be. The drinks were great. It was a very beautiful place. Um, and I kind of learned this whole other aspect too. Cause, cause my family's restaurants are very food forward, very like, it's about the food. It's less about the atmosphere or the location. And I started to learn like restaurant experience is a complete thing you know so a biggest one of the biggest things that my parents were telling me too is like 
how bad is it? You know, like I'm super obsessed with this one dish and it's just bothering me. And I'm just like so upset that I have to serve it. But when it comes down to it, it's like, is the restaurant operating? You know, are people happy when they leave? Do you have a job? Are you know, are you getting paid? Uh, things like that, I think, kind of put it into perspective and it started to help me with, you know, logically thinking, um, is everything okay? You know, and it's like young man, like kind of high anxiety, like don't want to be too stressed, like, but, you know, kind of like coming to terms with all of that at the same time. So when you, you spend some time at the restaurant in Cincinnati and then after that you decide to go traveling abroad, right? Yeah. Um, I basically, I was at since, uh, you know, had been, in my opinion was doing like kind of well by then. I feel like I had kind of learned all those lessons. I had a nice sushi team. I had a nice team there. My friend was the chef. Like, you know, we had, we had gone through so many different chefs and, uh, finally the guy I liked the most was the other chef for the kitchen side. And, and we were both having fun, but at the same time I started to get a little bit like maybe just bored of the food, I guess is what it comes down to. And, and we all kind of sat and it was like, I think the food of that restaurant is what it is and that's what it's going to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. The place is still a great experience, you know? Um, but I was like ready to do more of what I had done prior to, you know, and I wanted to make more, um, I guess just like better sushi in general. And so I had talked to my parents and I was like, okay, I think we're going to move back to St. Louis because my mom was like super open to just renovating Nippon Tei. So when I first moved back, I spent a lot of time like learning about what was already going on and we were taking some time to see about how we wanted to change everything. And then part of that was like, let's go to uh, Thailand again. So I, I got to spend a lot of time. I, I went for a long time actually, which was great. So I, you know, my uncle has a place in Bangkok and so I stayed with him and then I got to kind of like bounce around, um, got to meet one of my best friends while I was in Thailand, who's also a chef. Um, and uh, we both just ate a ton. We went to Cambodia. You know, we just drove around Thailand and ate everywhere. Basically. Do you have any family there that works in the restaurant industry? Actually, no. Okay. Um, my uncle, um, he actually has a, a pork, like, factory, basically. And okay. that's kind of his main main thing now. So he's kind of a businessman. Um, mm -hmm. But he loves food. So it was kind of cool. As I felt like I had, like, one of the best guides Got ever. Got a good tour. Yeah, guide. because yeah. he took me to all the best, like... Kalmangai restaurants or these little cool hole in the wall spots. And then we went to some nice restaurants too that he likes as well. And how long did you spend? Um, I want to say like two and a half months I was there. So that was great. Like, I mean, it feels like no time now, but man, I was there for a while, which was cool too. Was it really like a full on fact finding mission? Like at every meal, were you thinking to yourself, maybe this can be something that I can integrate back into the menu? Were you just looking for inspiration at a top line level or were you actually trying to dig deep into dishes that you could maybe reproduce or reimagine? I think it's hard to say like you were just like going after specifics while you're traveling, you know, like I definitely wrote some things down while I was there, but I didn't necessarily, I wasn't like going after like, how am I going to make this dish, you know, but just like bring kind of like absorbing everything, you know, like, traveling here too it's the same thing like i'm I, I i think it'd be like a bad idea to just sit there and say like i'm gonna try to make this dish exactly how it is but like try to take from what they're doing um we just like you know when i was there i was like if i eat at as many places i could possibly eat at that are all really good those uh those flavors and those standards will become like my reaction to or uh my my new standard for that food right so now when I try curry or when I try calsoy or when I try all these other Thai dishes that I had there, I was like, this isn't as good as uh, what I had in Chiang Mai or this wasn't as good as what I had at that little Kaomangai shop. So 
I think that's where it really comes down to. And then also too, it's cool because trying not to be too literal about it and putting my own almost like Midwest kind of flavor profile, which isn't necessarily making it like less good, but just kind of the right amount of like maybe spiciness or the right amount of like funkiness that kind of makes things a little easier for people where I'm from to kind of palate. Because in, at the end, I'm still from St. Louis too. And I still like, you know, sometimes I like sweeter dishes compared to what they do in Thailand or something that's not too like funky or too fishy. Um, and I think that's kind of part of the success of it too. And kind of just being um, who I am instead of like what you're supposed to be if you're going to make like authentic Thai food. What's that supposed to taste like? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about taking that flavor and transferring it back to St. Louis. Stick with us here on The Line. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberto's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberto's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberto's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberto's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberto's at robertospizza.com. And fall asleep just to wake up. Welcome back to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. My guest today is Chef Nick Bognar. He is the chef and owner of Indo, the modern Asian restaurant located in St. Louis. Indo combines styles of mainland Southeast Asia, joining Nick's Thai background and formal Japanese training. He's been nominated for a James Beard Foundation Rising Star, and he came back to St. Louis after working in Austin and Cincinnati and rejoined his family restaurant to revamp it. And then very recently, he's opened his own shop. Before we start talking about Indo, which is what I want to spend the most of the time on in the second half, uh, when you came back to St. Louis to open, uh, sort of reopen Nippon Tay, mm-hmm. uh, what did that consist of? It had already been open and it had been around for 15 or so years yeah, at that yeah. point. So it feels like kind of a tall order. It was it's a, a neighborhood restaurant mm-hmm. that like is very well established. Mm-hmm. What did you change? What did you not change? And was there any tension amongst family of like, hey, Nick, we get that you have this like huge chef pedigree now, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, you, you nailed it, man. Like it was, it was, uh, 
you know, when I first moved back, my mom was like, I think we should do some of the stuff that you've been doing. Like, I think that would be exciting and that's what we should do. So that was kind of the first initial, like become partners for real and then uh, uh, try to do what I think is right for the restaurant. But like, you know, like you said, man, it's like it's an established restaurant. So I, I immediately was kind of like, this is going to be harder than opening probably something new because you have an entire group of people who like it for what it is. And maybe there's a whole new group of people out there that you could grab and try to get to come to the restaurant. But like, how are you going to kind of get them excited about some new things? So it was like kind of like a full year long process. Um, and you know, like running restaurants, um, you probably understand it's like first you have to get better people too, because you have a lot of people who are used to what they have been doing. And that workload is completely different than what I want to get it to. Right. So at first it was like, yeah, you guys can't like, do this. This is not the right way to process this fish, or this is not the right way to do that. And that would piss off just staff, right? Because they're like, who, like, you know, and then it was still that same thing. It's like the owner's son, you know, there's a lot of like internal, before we even really changed anything uh, to like the guest's perspective, there's a lot of internal, like, I don't really want to do what this guy says, right? And I even had to uh, maybe let some people go, or they just decided, I think mainly most people were like, this isn't for me anymore. And they kind of moved on, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, like the first six months was just like about getting some like good people and uh, trying to search out for that. But then, you know, the, there's a lot of legwork on my own when I first moved back. Like just be there myself. And if I want something to be better, like can't really just ask somebody else to do it. I'm just going to have to do it myself. Right. So like first it was just about improving ingredients. Um, they were in that kind of kind of classic sushi bar where you have like a ton of rolls and a lot of that product wasn't as necessarily like as high end as I would have liked it to be. So first thing I did was like, what roles are made with things that I don't approve of? And then we just kind of like pulled the bandaid as uh, get rid of that stuff. And then that immediately kind of reverb to a lot of guests, like the loudest guests, I think were the ones kind of telling us like, this is bad. I want my, I want my role that you used to have. And I'm like, sorry, I just don't believe in that frozen product anymore. And I, I just decided to take it off the menu. And, um, it was hard to kind of see if you were doing the right thing because you would get a lot of people complaining but then you would also get a lot of new customers who would come in and they'd be like, this was great. This was much better. But those people are like quieter than the people who are mad. Of course. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the kind of internal family business thing where I think my parents, they definitely supported me. Like my parents have always supported me with what I wanted to do, which is amazing. And uh, but then there's the reality of it, which is like you're spending more money on fish. You're spending more money on equipment. You got some new stuff. You spent a bunch of money. And like, where's the. Where's the benefit, you know? And a lot of my friends who are chefs in other cities ask me about St. Louis's scene, and, and I always kind of talk about it. It's like, I think it's emerging, and I think it's popping off right now, but um, it's kind of slow, right? So you change something at your restaurant, it's going to take like a few months for people to even pick up on it because it's not like New York where you have thousands of people walking in front of your restaurant every day. Like, if they want to come, they have to drive to the restaurant, and they have to know where they're going because it's not really like foot traffic. Um, so kind of trying to see is like, okay, we gotta, we just like, we have to just kind of do this all the way and try, because at first we tried to kind of compromise and it was like, take a few things off the menu, keep some of those popular items and, uh, keep trying to do, uh, semi what we were doing and then also have this other thing on top of it. And then eventually we realized we just need to change the entire menu and we just need to change everything. It's great. It's really crazy that you took, you know, the, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't, <coughs> you know, and what you did was you just said, 
it's not good enough for me. Yeah. Like and, it was good enough for the customer in a way. In you a way, had yeah. people that, that were satisfied, but mm-hmm. you were just looking to execute things at a much higher level. And by going to those purveyors and, and finding mm-hmm. all this new product and finding new ways to innovate, my, my, my wonder is why not keep Nipponte exactly how it was and just open up the other uh, yeah. place right yeah, away. Exactly. Why did you come back to Nipponte first? Well, you know, the, the, a restaurant being open for that long, in a way, you benefit from that too, right? So, so yeah. there's not a lot of expenses as, as it was when you first opened it, mm-hmm. and like you know, I'm sure everybody knows now. If you try to open a restaurant, it's going to cost you like a million dollars, you right. know. And it's like I don't have a million dollars, so we're going to do what we can, and then we're going to build to that point where maybe we can open something new. And um, I always have to give credit to my mom for that first initial decision. Because this is her restaurant, this is her baby, um, and it's as almost as old as I am, right? So it's like her kid, and so many props to have like an owner who thinks about food in a way to see in the future before things are old and done, mm-hmm. and to say like, you know, she went out and she used to come visit me and, and see all these places that we were eating. We would eat together at other restaurants, and and I, you know, props for the restaurant tour who can sit there and say like, what I'm doing is okay. What I want to do is the next best thing, the best thing, and and get ahead of the uh, get ahead of like the trends, right? So when she said like, okay, let's do it, I mean, you can't ever discredit how much like weight that has because you, you like you said, you could just kind of ride this out for another ten years and, and probably be okay. Um, so. We just had to rip the bandaid, you know, and we lost a lot of people. I got a lot of hate mail, which was kind of crazy. It was like little restaurant in kind of not really like the most popular location in St. Louis. And yet people are that passionate to like send me hate mail. And, you know, that old saying is like uh, uh, if you if you got haters, you're probably doing something right. Right. And now I kind of believe that. Totally. I mean, <laughs> if, if there were the if there were that many people that were passionate about yeah, it yeah. and you're still open, you obviously converted some and you won yeah. many more over. So there were definitely some dishes there that absolutely like they had to go. Oh, I, dude, I yeah. imagine that there was some fighting about uh, just generally beyond the menu, mm-hmm. just also service style or oh, yeah. interiors oh, yeah. you had probably done a lot more uh traveling and also kind of high-end eating i assume mm-hmm. than a lot of other people that were involved in mm-hmm. the restaurant like you you were in austin big dining yeah, scene course, and then yeah. you had done some traveling you come back with these new ideas did you implement anything beyond the food that was like a drastic change that may have been controversial a little bit yeah. for st louis i mean niponte was it i mean when i first moved back we were still using like a sushi checklist you know and like you mm-hmm. go into a sushi bar and you check off the yeah. rolls and pieces that you like and and like we got rid of that and then we tried to push the whole shared food so like i think the most fun thing to do when you go out to eat is to share everything and try as much as you can yeah and i think in in new york that's like a normal a normal um template for people to eat but um there was a lot of like kind of back and forth with that because you know some people walk in and they're just like i'm just gonna have my role and i don't want to share with anybody and so we kind of flipped that service style but then there was like you know, it's just a ton of little things like doing that all at once really is what it comes down to. I think it was a little too much for some people. And yeah, there were servers who didn't like that either because their job used to be just like, yeah, give me your checklist. Uh, can I get you any drinks or whatever? And then it became like, hey, you know, You're a real every, server. Yeah, exactly. Everything's meant to be shared. Can <laughs> I explain some, some things? Yeah. Sell at the table, which is just, you know, so 
me without like a, like a true general manager at the time, like was really pushing food knowledge. And I thought through food knowledge, I could hopefully just, um, the servers will be so good at knowing the food that they could hopefully just explain that to the table. And that's kind of the first step. And then I brought in my best friend who I actually worked with at Uchiko and he was, you know, I was really happy to, to help me for, for about half a year and just be my main point guy in the front. So kind of like our, our secret weapon, um, who, uh, you know, me and him have always seen eye to eye on food and we knew that we could do it. So a lot of, a lot of the help in that front of house was, was to him. And I appreciate that a lot. Um, but yeah, man, it was just like so many different things. And like, we really did spend about a year just kind of flipping the restaurant. And then by the end of that year, I had way better, uh, team of chefs and cooks and, and then a, a way happier team because we were so proud of what we were cooking now, whether we weren't super busy or not yet. And like I said, like time kind of moves a little quick, slowly in, in St. Louis. So there was like a couple months there where we had changed the menu. We had received a lot of hate mail. We were getting a lot of people telling us that we were never going to be good anymore or something like that. And then, uh, uh, I had spent a lot of money and, and almost double on fish, right? Cause I was trying to get fresh fish from Japan, like flown in all that stuff. We, we kind of fly a lot of stuff in through Chicago and, uh, my mom and dad, and that's the point is like, Everybody else can be mad at me, but you know, mom and dad's opinion is the one that really matters, right? So when they came to me one month and they're like, is this okay? Like, are we good? And there was a lot of tension there. Like, I don't know if this is gonna work, right? And uh, you know, money was very tight that month. And it was almost like, thank you so much for getting this, like we got re-reviewed by, by the main food critic. And it was like, if that didn't come for another two or three months, I'm not exactly sure how that would have ended up. I really couldn't even tell you. Like maybe we would have kept trying or maybe we would have reverted back or something. But luckily he came in and was just like, this is some of the best sushi now. And after that, it was like flipping the switch on because so many new people came. And then we, I think we just kind of retained those new people. And then the word started spreading. And the next, you know, we're like getting food bloggers and pictures and social media is lit up. And it just kind of like happened in like probably the span of like a four month period until, uh, uh, that James Beard, uh, semifinalist nom. And it was just like, holy shit. Like we're super busy now. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it all happened so quickly, yeah. but everyone doesn't know what happened behind the exactly, scenes, which yeah. is for over a year I would say, you were yeah. building up mm -hmm. to that point. Yeah. And then everything comes together. All the hard work leads to someone recognizing it. And then there's just this great kind of trickle exactly. down effect. Yeah. So when you were able to turn that corner and things start really becoming positive, not just internally, but externally as well. And from a, a press and a customer perspective, is that when you made the decision, okay, I have this other dream. I have a, a little twinkle in my eye for another mm -hmm. spot, mm -hmm. uh, space, a spot down the block. How did you find the location for your new restaurant? Did you pitch it to your parents? And how did you sort of fundraise for so, it? Yeah, how like, did all of it come about? It was kind of natural in a way. I think with Niponte, my parents didn't necessarily expect me to just kind of stay there and be the chef there. And we all had talked like, I think we're going to try to find a new spot for me to do kind of this food all the way. Cause you know, there's still a bit of compromise there at Niponte and it is a concept. So you can't really just push past the concept mm -hmm. completely. Um, so that entire time we had kind of our ears open and eyes open for, um, 
locations. And I think like getting the word out with uh, James Beard and, and all the local press um, made people more interested in helping us find a location. And uh, so I met my landlord, Ben Peremba, who, who has amazing restaurants in St. Louis as well. And he was kind of helping me find spots. Um, and he had this building across the street from his own place. And there was a restaurant there before us. And uh, they kind of had a little short-lived um, time. And when, uh, when they ended up closing, um, he came to me first, luckily, because it was a very sought-after location. And it was just kind of like knowing him uh, that got me in there because it was, you know, essentially a new restaurant. And we're like, well, we got to do this is like perfect little 50 seater or not even 50 seats, 46 seats and uh, ready for us to kind of move in and do like, you know, so we just put our own equipment in there. Um, You know, we got we have great business relationships with a lot of the old school um, hospitality companies in St. Louis because of, you know, my mom's old restaurant. So like equipment, you know, credit, everything pretty much on credit. And we just like we're like, hopefully, hopefully we're busy out the gate because we owe these people a lot of money. Um, but it's a small spot, right? So we had done small spots before and we knew that we, we were capable. Um, and it was just a matter of, you know, kind of hyping everything up. Did you take on outside investment for this project? No, we actually were able to do it all ourselves. So it's still, it was almost a no brainer. It's basically like, it's the fam. It's an extension mm-hmm. of the family restaurant group, exactly. right? It's yeah, of part course. of so. So all of the places are kind of held under the same umbrella. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the new spot, you have full creative control. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really it's your yeah, restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yes. So yeah. so partnering with my parents and then them saying like you're going to take point on this as the as the owner. Um, so yeah, of course their support is always there to help me and a, a lot of the back end stuff and and credit credit stuff and uh, my dad was an accountant for many years so that's really a nice clutch like to have a very trusted accountant um yeah your parents are yeah. like the perfect they are mentorship yeah, yeah. Uh, ownership partner very team. much so because you yeah. have my my dad who's like a business um business uh veteran you know working for major companies and then my mom who's just been a manager operations person for so long and then like learning from both of them and then trying to get myself organized for how to do this and then um i mean it was kind of perfect, man. It's like every chef's kind of dream in a way. If you're like really just trying to make creative food, you don't want too big of a spot and you don't want too small of a spot. And it's just kind of exactly what we needed. When you slid over to your new spot, did your mom kind of retake over uh, at Nibonte yeah, or, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. so now she's back day to day there yeah, and, so she's and kind you're of, at Indo. Yeah. So she's kind of GMing. She, she GMed Nippon like kind of interim. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now it's kind of exciting time for the whole company because we're kind of restructuring management across the board now. So I think the next goal for us now is to kind of get mom off of uh, hard work and just what she wants to do. Yeah. Right. So. I How mean, many people across all the restaurants? Oh, that's a great question. Um, wow. I want to say we have probably about 70 employees now. 60, okay. 60. Pretty yeah, good yeah, size. Yeah. Definitely at the point where, yeah. you know, you need some of those levels of, exactly, of yeah. hierarchy to deal with sort of, of the day-to-day yeah. operations. So now the idea is to kind of template that. I, uh, I, I want to know about when you, when you opened at Indo and you're building your team there and just putting your vision really into effect, did any part of you, did you pull back at all or did you push as far as you wanted to go? And was there any apprehension that maybe St. Louis wasn't necessarily ready for it? You always have that kind of like St. Louis isn't ready for it kind of vibe. And uh, nowadays though, because I mean, St. Louis is really has this one thing that like I think is great which we have a ton of like food media we have two food magazines feast and sauce and then we have a pretty great food critic at least I like him I like him now (laughs) but uh uh 
he did right by yeah, you. He so did right by me yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but now you have this like insurgence of like great food. Like, I mean, in St. Louis, like the weather's not amazing all the time and you know, there's not a ton of, a uh, 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 crazy stuff to do. So it's like really just like an eating and drinking town in my opinion and sports. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. so for me, I was like, I think I'm kind of over the whole, like, is St. Louis ready? I'm just going to cook what I like really want to cook. And if I only have 46 seats, I'm, I'm hoping that that's enough to fill up the restaurant. Um, maybe not necessarily serving like, like your expected St. Louis fair and just filling like a huge restaurant, which is, I think much harder. Um, so for me, it was just about having fun with the food and hopefully letting things trickle down from there and, uh, not really taking it too serious. Like what our definition is. I, I, I also opened up a restaurant young, you have a much longer pedigree and you have uh, sort of a, a family support system built in. But from my perspective, I often, when I go into work and I'm think to myself, oh, wow, I'm in charge of all of this. Mm-hmm. That can be kind of a daunting thing. I sometimes think to myself, oh, if I would have worked for a couple more people and spent a couple more years doing, uh, this at that restaurant and and XYZ, maybe I'd be more prepared. And sometimes it's just, you got to dive in head first. So I guess my, my question is you as uh, a young business owner and in the grand scheme of of restaurant ownership, you are fairly young. Do you ever get the feeling that you wish you would have spent a couple more years working for other people or do you feel super ready and, and do you Uh, still day to day feel like you made the right decision? I feel like I made the right decision, mm-hmm. definitely, because I like where I am. I like my job right now a lot, yeah. which is great because, like, you know, I'm getting older and I don't want to be doing anything that I don't want to do. I think that all the time, though. Like, I would really have, honestly, I uh, I think about working for other people as much. Like, I think that would have been really fun for me in a way. Like, so, like, my friends from Austin are all working at, like, other cool restaurants now. And I thought, you know, you know part of me is always like oh i could have you know we would like you know do the whole like roommates and we work at the badass restaurant again and like you know for a while there was like it was great like we were all really good at what we did and it's fun and like less responsibility you know like that line cook lifestyle i actually do kind of enjoy like i embrace it a little bit um i think it would have been really great for me as a chef um and my food um because i would have just gotten better and better and maybe even more rapidly but I think when you, like you said, like if you're like a, a, you start up your restaurant a little bit young, you learn a whole different set of skills, you know, being the one in charge, like I have to be kind of that, that trusted like rock for the whole staff. And, and I'm learning to be the guy who doesn't freak out, you know, and can, people can look to me and be like, okay, like Nick's here. So everything's going to be okay. You know, something happens with the POS system or something happens in the bathroom or like all these little things is like, stay calm. You know, there's a way to fix this. Like I've learned all these new little things over the years because I was in that position to be a leader instead of just being a line cook. So I think you have a ton of people who are insanely good at cooking and like that I look up to all the time. And it's like for me now, I'm happy that the skills that I'm learning are keeping me as like a well-rounded, maybe like restaurateur and I would love to be, you know, like a more successful restaurateur in the future. And uh, cooking and being a chef is like just part of that job. Um, so I'm glad that I'm pretty good at cooking. Um, of course, if I had worked at some like really great restaurants, I think I could be even better. But I think I'm getting really good at like keeping people happy, you know, keeping the staff happy. Like I think that and that's kind of like the future of restaurants, in my opinion. Like I'm over the whole like everyone is miserable because they have to do this job. I think restaurants now can be uh, a beautiful career. Like 
we have fun every day, we work hard every day, and there's a balance to that. And you have, you know, there's there's certain benefits um, by working in a restaurant that you could maybe use as like a positive thing where you have like a lot of people, staff that are sitting there saying like, oh, I wish I had a better job, I work in a restaurant, but it's like, you have flexible schedule, like you can go on three vacations a year, you can, you know, you can get off whenever you want, right? As long as you can get it covered and, and trying to keep people having fun while they're working, you know, because there's a lot of people who punch the clock at their, you know, their IT job where maybe they make double the salary, but at the same time, they, they, they come to me, like a lot of my friends who aren't in the industry, they come to me and they're like, what are you doing this week, man? It's like, they don't even talk about their job to me, you know? And I think that's kind of cool. So I try to push that, like, almost like creating that little, our little family, and we're happy while we're at work. And then when we're off work, you know, we're happy to do what we, we can do while we're off. But then at the same time, you don't dread coming into work the next day. You know, you're gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see Nick, I'm gonna see Hannah and Mark, and we're all gonna kind of make something delicious that night. And then we'll go home and, you know, it's like happy, happy. Everyone's gotta be happy. That's good. What are your goals with the restaurant? It's pretty fresh. It opened in June. So you're, you're in the first year of being open. Obviously, the critical acclaim uh, from the St. Louis Dispatch, it helped Nippon Tay tremendously. Uh, everybody wants a good review. Mm-hmm. But beyond a positive review and beyond customers coming, what do you hope for your restaurant? I talk about this a lot, actually, to like the staff. And um, I think, you know, I, I'm even more feel even strong, more strongly about it after kind of walking around New York a little bit. But it's like I want that restaurant to become kind of that, you know, to kind of uh, – immerse itself in that local community where people are walking to the restaurant and maybe they haven't thought all week about eating at Indo, but they just kind of walk in and they can get a seat and it becomes part of that neighborhood. I really just want it to become part of that neighborhood. Um, because to me, like a cool restaurant is a place that people can just kind of count on, you know, like I don't need to feel stressed out about getting a reservation, which maybe right now we're kind of, we're really hot and we're kind of busy and you know, you got to make a reservation, but eventually I would love it to kind of get to that point where it feels like, oh yeah, we're just going to go to dinner at Indo real quick, or we're just going to have a bite at Indo and then we're going to go do what we're going to do down the street. Um, I just want it to be like chill and like a place where people can go and feel comfy, you know? So for me, like these neighborhood restaurants, like we were talking about earlier, like places that aren't too serious and yet really serious about the product that they, that they, you know, essentially if I'm taking money for something, I need to be serious about it. Right. So I don't want to like, like make it, um, lax, but at the same time, I can't wait for it to be a place that's just kind of like, yeah, Indo we've been there. Like we go there all the time. We go there once a week, you know, lunch or dinner or whatever. I want you to talk about one dish. I know it's hard to sum up the entire menu, but if you can kind of break down a dish for us that's on the Indo menu that you think is an awesome representation of the type of food that you like to do there and whether or not it's harkens back to like your childhood or maybe a, a traditional dish from a specific country, but like why did you create it and why does it live on the menu at Indo? Um, so like, I mean, there's a couple dishes on there that I think are really kind of like dialed. Um, and, uh, one of them, like one of the most popular dishes we have is like a hamachi, uh, uh crudo or, or like a sashimi, basically we call it the Isan hamachi. So it's like, basically it's like really kick-ass yellowtail 
um, that we treat right and we do it in the Japanese style, you know, um, and we break that down in the Japanese style. And uh, that in itself is really good. But uh, what we do that's kind of different is we throw a lot of those flavors from my, my family or my, my heritage onto like a really kick-ass sashimi. So it's like uh, fish sauce reduction with like a ton of aromatics mixed with citrus and coconut milk. And that makes like this really kick-ass kind of jus. And then, and then we do some uh, a paste that's based on uh, yuzu kosho, but it's with all Thai ingredients. So it's like Thai basil and chilies and uh, lime zest. And, uh, and then we put some candied garlic on there, which is something that I got from Uchi, right? So it's kind of like my career, my family's flavors, and at the same time, just like proper Japanese fish technique. I always kind of thought Japanese, the way the Japanese handle fish is like the best way, like the right way, right? So putting that all together, really kind of like sums up me as a chef in a way. Um, and people really dig it. So it's cool. Cause it's like yellowtail crudos can kind of be a ton of different things and it kind of just, it works out, man. Um, and I'm happy with that dish a lot. Cause it's only like four really good ingredients. That's what I like too. Like simple, but at the same time, deep with flavor. Nick, tell everyone when they're in St. Louis, where can they find you at Indo? And also, let's drop in the address uh, for Nippon Tay as well. Um, and if there's a website that they can go to to find all the restaurants, if you could shout that out as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, Indo, the new restaurant, we're at uh, indo-stl.com. Um, that's in Botanical Heights in St. Louis, so right next to the Botanical Garden, uh, Tower Grove Avenue. Um, shouldn't be too hard. There's a bunch of restaurants around right there. It's kind of a new upcoming little area, but, uh, you'll find me there most often, like working at the sushi counter. Um, and then, uh, Niponte, uh, which is kind of our larger sushi bar, the old family restaurant. That's uh, a little bit outside of the city, um, on Manchester road, uh, 14025 Manchester. Um, and you can find all the website stuff for Nippon and Ramente, um, at taystl.com. Cool. Nick, thanks for being here and joining us. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in yeah, New York. Thanks, man. Stuffing yourself and, yeah, uh, and going to try a bunch of new places. Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. You can find this episode and all the other episodes of The Line wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and of course on heritageradionetwork.org. Join us every Tuesday for new episodes of The Line here on Heritage Radio. The Line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.